This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Resilient Teacher Roadmap Course, an eight-week online course for tired teachers to learn how to cultivate well-being and build resilience throughout the school year, not just on the school holidays. Because the truth is that the cure for teacher burnout is not self-care. It's actually systemic and cultural change, real workload reduction, and deep abiding community care. But sadly, that's not the world we currently live in. I believe we can get there, but in order for any of us to be involved in creating and receiving the benefits of those changes, we need to survive and function this term, this week, today. The key to that is building resilience and cultivating well-being through self-advocacy, self-compassion and transformational self-care, not just the Instagrammable kind. So the Resilient Teacher Roadmap course is a framework, not a prescription. It's not a quick fix. It's also not PD or an academic course. It's about your beliefs and behaviors and how they impact and keep you on the downward depletion spiral or on the upwards resilience spiral. Yes, you'll learn practical strategies and be given tips, tricks, and activities to try at home. But even more than that, you'll learn the skills to continually take into account the reality of your life and work and to differentiate for what you actually need to support your personal well-being sustainably over the long term. Find out more at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash roadmap. And now enjoy the episode. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hello and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, which is now five years old. Amazing. So this episode is a longer episode than normal, which I think is okay because this is the last episode of the season. So this one's got to keep you going for a while until season 10 arrives later in the year. This episode is with Lisa and Lisa shares really generously about her journey of burnout and recovery uh, and becoming a parent. Uh, and then, you know, we have a really interesting discussion around well-being and parenting, which is super relevant to me right now. And I'm just grateful for Lisa sharing her tips in that regard, because some of that's, yeah, just really applicable to me at the moment, which has been so cool re-listening to this episode in advance of uh, recording this intro, because I'm like, oh yeah, great, note to self. So Lisa also tells us about some of the changes she's made to support her well-being and what her school is doing to support student and staff well-being and how she became the school well-being champion in her school, which I think is going to be so helpful for those of you who are listening who are either already are the school well-being champion in your school or who want to be because I know there's some of you in that position who are, you know, aspiring to that kind of a role, who want to get something going in your school and you're not really sure how to start. And if that's you, remember, I also have a workshop on that topic of how to get a school wellbeing uh, initiatives started in your school. You can go to selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion for that. And you will also find the info there about the school wellbeing champions meetup, which is just like an online networking session with other wellbeing champions from around the country to connect and share ideas and just encourage each other on the journey. 
So the next one of those is on the 22nd of March. But of course, if you're listening after that date, there will be more. Head to that URL. The link will be in the description of this episode and the show notes, and you can find out when the next one is. So before we get to the interview with Lisa, a little personal update because it is the last episode of the season. I think if you've been following me, I can't remember if I've shared this on the podcast yet so far, but you probably knew that I was pregnant (laughs) Uh, and we had baby Lincoln back in October of 2021. So I've been on maternity leave mostly since then, which is why all the episodes this season have been from about July and August last year, even though we are now well into 2022, they were all recorded before I went off on maternity leave in September. And so, yes, baby Lincoln is here and he is well and I am well and our family is doing well. It's been a big change, obviously, and it has been challenging, of course. Um, Anyone who's had a baby knows, (laughs) yeah, it's it's an adjustment. But we have settled in well and finding our groove now, I think. And I, I do really think all the work that I've done on myself and my mindset and my well-being over the years has made a really big difference to how I've transitioned into this next season of life. And sort of Lisa touches on that in this episode. And I do think it's been true for me that it has helped. So far, like I don't have mum guilt about doing things for me or looking after my well-being or, you know, anything in that regard. And I know that's really common for mums to experience that. And I truly believe the reason that I don't is because I have done so much work on unlearning the unhelpful patterns that our culture puts on us about self-sacrifice and martyrdom and people-pleasing and all of that self-care mindset, well-being mindset work that I've done over the years for myself as a person first, and now I'm a person first and a parent second, right? So it's all applicable and I do think it's helped a lot. And also I was so unwell for most of 2021 because I had extreme pregnancy sickness called hyperemesis gravidarum. So honestly, as tired as I am, you know, like just the sleep deprivation and the adjustments of having a new baby. I also feel like myself again now that I'm not pregnant and not throwing up. So that's been really, really nice. And this year in 2022, I have returned to work just a few hours on a couple of days a week, which has been great, actually. It's it's a challenge to juggle, but it's been really good for me to get back in the office and have adult conversations again and to, you know, reconnect with work that I love. And like I said, re-listening to this episode with Lisa before recording this intro has been a great reminder for me of a couple of things as well that I'm going to apply to hopefully continue to make that, you know, work, life, parenting, juggle a little less tricky, hopefully. So thank you, Lisa. Also, if you are following me on Instagram, you may know if you've been following my stories that I have been struggling a bit with the teacher wellbeing industry and my role within it or my space within it, where I fit into the the teacher wellbeing space in Australia. And so a lot of that has to do with what Gabby Strug covered in her article for the Griffith Review, which is called Compulsory Wellbeing, which I will link to if you haven't read it yet, because I highly recommend it. Really interesting. But it it's bigger than that for me. It also has to do with the business model that a lot of teacher wellbeing consultants have, which just really didn't suit me at all before I was a parent. And now I have a little baby like you know, that business model is not for me. So that's something I've been working on for years, trying to figure out what could work for self-care for teachers in that regard. And it also has to do with ableism and healthism, both in our society in general and in the wellbeing slash wellness space, because I've been living with chronic illness for the last 15 years. And so my experience of wellbeing struggles within the education system as a teacher myself 
and my experience of the, you know, the transformational impact of self-care and proactive well-being practices is intrinsically linked with my experience of chronic illness as well. In case you don't know, ableism is discrimination or social prejudice against people who are not well or who are disabled or, you know, or both because often <laughs> often it is they go hand in hand. And there's a lot of ableism and healthism in general in our society and also a lot of it in the well-being and wellness industry, really heaps of it in the wellness industry. And I'm distinguishing there between the wellness industry and the well-being industry, but I, I won't go down that rabbit hole right now. But truth be told, I also think even though many of us in education are way more aware of ableism than the general public because of our work, I still think there's a lot of ableism in the education system too. And I just want to distinguish here when I say there's ableism in the teacher wellbeing industry and ableism in the education system, I'm talking about the the systems in general, not the people, the individual people within it, right? So this is not about like a blame game for any one person or anything like that. Anyway, all that to say, I have been unpacking this for myself over the last couple of years and I've really started to see a lot of the ways that it's really problematic in the teacher wellbeing space too. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on my Instagram stories and I got a lot of DMs from people who are, you know, teachers who have chronic health issues or even disabilities. And it just goes to show that I'm not the only one thinking this way. So anyway, I'm studying with the Feminist Coach Academy to continue to unlearn unlearn my own internalised ableism and to learn more about this space. And I'm still working out how to really pinpoint and articulate it. But, you know, you may have seen me shift away from the word well-being in recent years. If you're on my webinar in January, you would have heard me talk about why I prefer the word resilience to well-being. And I definitely prefer the word well-being over wellness. But then I ran a poll on my Instagram stories the other week and some people find the word resilience really problematic too. So, like, this is tricky stuff. It's not like with everything. There's no one size fits all. Anyway. All this to say that this is the last episode of season nine. I am looking forward to having a break in the podcast, sort of dig into this a little further for myself. And I'll, you know, I'll keep sharing snippets of it on Instagram. So definitely keep following me there. I'll definitely update you next season. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this interview with Lisa. It's a really good one. I know there is some big stuff going on in the world right now, you know, (laughs) pandemic natural disasters here at home, war in Ukraine, I mean, teacher shortages, putting pressure on everyone. It's a lot. And you are doing a really, really good job. And I just, I hope you know that anything you hear on this podcast is meant to be suggestion only, not to add to your to-do list, but to offer ideas and options for you when you have the capacity to apply them and the inclination (laughs) to apply them. Take what works, leave the rest. And of course, remember, as always, you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of your own care. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, Ellen. Thanks for having me. I'm really keen to hear a bit more about your story and share it with the audience. So can you start by just telling us a bit about your background and your sort of teaching history or teaching context? Yeah, sure. So I taught for five years full-time. I'm in WA in like regional independent schools, so not in Perth, but just out of Perth, two different schools that was. And then- High school or primary? 
Uh, sorry, secondary. Yep. So I teach year 11 and 12 human biology, PE studies, and then some lower school health and PE. Yeah. So, yep, super passionate about health and physical activity and exercise and studied sports science at uni. And that's kind of what kind of took me on a lot of this journey. And I, so I taught for five years full time. And then um, I guess we'll talk about it in a bit soon. And then I experienced burnout, but I actually, took maternity leave and that's when I crashed (laughs) and I had four years off and I'm just back full-time this year for the first time. Yeah and um, we are definitely going to dive into that story and so we are recording this in late July but it won't go live until you know later in the year so you've sort of done six months back right? Yeah yep semester yep. (laughs) Yeah yeah and well, let's dive in. So tell us about those health and wellbeing challenges, that burnout that you experienced. And because I know you didn't necessarily know that that's what was going on at the time. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, kind of had no idea. I was just, I just worked and worked and worked and kept going like both at work and also outside of work, like giving and serving and doing things for other people and family and friends and being that person that people could talk to. And I think that's just always what I've done. And I, I went straight from high school to uni, straight from uni to teaching. I never really had a break, never really rested properly. And I just, yeah, I just kept going. And then my, yeah, with my teaching I enjoyed it and I was really passionate about it, but I think I would always say yes to taking on extra things and just kept going and going. And I think the it wasn't necessarily the workload that caused me to burn out. It was that I was constantly not stopping and not checking in with myself and not letting myself feel emotions and just constantly distracting myself with just keep going. Yeah, so you you just didn't stop really. Yeah, yeah. And if I did stop, I would sit and scroll on my phone or I would watch something on Netflix or I would read a novel even, which I thought was like a more healthy thing to do, but I definitely was just escaping through <laughs> certain characters and plot lines. And, um, yeah, just I would... When I would stop, I would do something that was kind of escapist. Yeah, so you weren't really connecting with yourself at all to recognise that there was maybe some messages being being sent to say, hey, listen, you know, maybe think about what you, you know, what you need. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I actually thought that I was looking after myself okay. I thought I had a really good work-life balance and I thought that I was resting enough and I thought, yeah, I don't know, I just had no idea and then, so my husband and I actually, the end of 2016, like we'd been planning this for a long time. We'd been planning to move to the Northern Territory to live and work in a remote Indigenous community. So we packed up all our stuff. We were, yeah, packed up, ready to go. And then I found out that I was pregnant. But I wasn't actually going up there to teach. I was, um, he's a pilot and he was going to work with a charter company up there. And I was just going to be Yeah, I was kind of keen for some sort of maybe career change or just see like something in like the health industry or I was just open to possibilities, but still open to teaching up there. And then I found out that I was pregnant. So then I was like, oh, okay, I'm going up to be a full-time stay-at-home mum. 
in a remote community. Well, that won't be hard. <laughs> I'll be fine. And then so we had to do some orientation training. And when we got to the training, they did this little session on burnout. And they were like, you know, for future reference, for one day down the track, if in case you ever possibly experience burnout. And they listed these things. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I think I'm already, I think I'm already burnt out. So things like distancing yourself from family and friends. I noticed that, yep, I've definitely started to do that, escaping instead of recreating. And so when you do have downtime, escaping instead of actually doing things that you normally love doing. Which is that like mindless scrolling and the, you know, the the binging of Netflix that's not necessarily because you really can't wait to watch this show, but it's just because it's like you're escaping, not having to think about, you know, real life. Yes. Yep. Probably the biggest thing for me is that I just had no emotional energy to give anyone. And they they talked about, yeah, compassion fatigue and burnout. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's me. That's that's where I'm at now because I've just been going and going and going at work and yeah, with you know, family and friends and everyone in my circles, just always being that person that was always doing something for someone and the giver, the helper. Yeah, yeah, that's what I like. I think that's where I drew my sense of value and worth as well. Is I'm worthy and I'm valuable if I'm, yeah, if I'm giving and if I'm helping someone. And I didn't have that emotional energy in my last year of teaching. I just didn't have anything to give anyone. And yeah. so I think that I was like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, and so hearing about burnout and going, ah, oh, I think I'm burnt out. Yeah, and because you just were really also making a big life change and suddenly there was a bit more space probably to think about it. Yes, yeah. So then I called someone who I knew had experienced burnout before who was a bit of a mentor to me and I asked him, you know, because we were then going to be in Cairns continuing this orientation training. My husband was going to do some flying training for six weeks. I had nothing to do and I I don't think I've ever had six weeks with nothing to do. And I called him and I'm like, can you give me like your six-step <laughs> program <laughs> for burnout? Like I need to get this sorted in six weeks so that when we arrive, I'm good to go. And he's like, no, <laughs> you, you need to rest and this is going to take time. And I, yeah, so I spent six weeks in Cairns. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do any escapist activities during the day while my husband was out. So I bought myself some like watercolours and I'm a Christian. I got myself a new Bible, a journaling Bible and to be able to do some, yeah, journaling and lettering. And I went for walks and found waterfalls and yeah, just sat and it, it, it was really hard. I bet. It sounds really nice. And now I'm like, that would be amazing. <laughs> but it was scary. It was really, really scary. Yeah. I had to actually sit and feel feelings that I'd been running away from for I don't know how long. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a sort of a shock to the system when you've been go, go, go for so long to suddenly have everything stop. Yes. Yep. And then when we actually arrived in the territory, I, yeah, again, had more time to rest and then I had a baby. And I think just peeling back that sense of identity and value and worth in I am enough because I'm giving or because I'm doing something for someone. 
and actually stopping and being like, no, <laughs> that can't be, yeah, that can't be it. Yeah. And and did you find, do you think it was helpful to have begun that process before you had a baby? Because, you know, often there is then that identity shift uh, and, and women talk about and that feeling like losing their identity after having, you know, had a baby, but you'd sort of already started that journey of reconnecting with yourself. Do you think that helped? I think it would have been nicer if it was like a, a lot longer before I had a baby. Yeah, because I think it was, to me, it was all intertwined and then recovering from burnout. So having no emotional energy, but then also not having the capacity to help anyone. Like I think when I found out that you were having a baby, am I allowed to say that? Yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, oh, that's so great that she's like learned all of this well before and kind of sorted it all out well before. Because for me, it was like very quick. Yes. It all happened really quickly. Well, I'm very aware that it's an intellectual understanding at the moment and uh, <laughs> I still have to go through <laughs> the actual uh, process of kind of, yeah, like it's different when you're living it. You can kind of understand a concept intellectually and then when it's real life happening to you, it's, you know, you still have to go through it. So I'm kind of aware of that. But, yeah, ho- ho- hopefully I am um, a little bit prepared for that, I hope. <laughs> Yep. This is probably digressing a little bit from teacher well-being, but I'm sure there's lots of moms that listen to the podcast. I think the thing with motherhood is that you don't feel like you're achieving anything on a daily basis. Like you you do the housework and then it's undone again and you do the washing and then the clothes are dirty again and you cook and then they eat it and then there's a mess to clean up and then you clean up the mess and then it's messy again. Like, yeah. So, I think it's really good, though, to work through that and just be like, just because I don't feel like I'm achieving anything doesn't make me less valuable or worthy. Yeah. Well, and I think because so so much of our culture is about the visible achievements and the things that we can tick off on the to-do list to say, yes, I did that. It's done. I don't have to return to it. Um, I, you know, because it's often a conversation I have with my coaching clients about the fact that a lot of our self-care and well-being practices are a bit like that. You know, it's like the laundry. You, you, you're going to have to keep doing it ongoing. It's it's never kind of done. And in some areas, we're really conscious of that. Like we don't think, oh, but I brushed my teeth yesterday. I can't believe I have to brush my teeth again today. Or, you know, beat ourselves up for the fact that my teeth got dirty today. Even though I brushed them yesterday, I'm such a hopeless person. Like, no, we just accept that that's it's a kind of a hygiene. It's an ongoing task. But yeah, so much of our, our achievement productivity kind of culture is this notion that it's a ticker box. We're done, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back, give ourselves a good report card. And then we don't have that ongoing. Yeah. Like you were saying, you don't feel like you're achieving it because it gets undone the next day or, you know, the next hour. And so that's a real mind shift, isn't it? hundred percent. And I think teaching can be a lot like that too. Like there's some really tangible tasks, like I've finished my programs, I've handed them in, or I've marked my exams, I've handed them back out. And then there's other things like, yeah, those um, conversations that you have with kids and then they go again and do the same thing again or like, yeah, it's never ending. And so there's that, definitely that aspect of teaching as well. Yes, and and I think so many teachers, not all teachers, but a lot of teachers that I come into contact with anyway, very much were that kind of high achiever at school. And so we like getting the, 
the report card that says we did well or that sense of satisfaction from ticking things off the to-do list. So it's a, it is a real identity shift to move away from our worth being connected to that. Yeah, I actually noticed a difference when I um, so I've come back now after four years of really digging into that and, you know, finding that's not where my value and worth comes from. And I remember my first week back, I taught part-time a little bit last year for two days and I had a parent complaint email in my first week and I was just like, oh, but it didn't affect me like it used to. I think, yeah, now I'm like I try not to take praise on board as much as well. But also with that, yeah, the negative feedback, I was like, oh, well, like just a different perspective. Like I'm sure we can chat about it. But, yeah, I think once upon a time I would have been in the principal's office crying and now I'm like, oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not a reflection on your total self-worth. Yes. Yep. Another very interesting thing that came up. So I actually shared my story of burnout and well-being at the staff PD day at the beginning of this term and I actually had a few teachers say I went on maternity leave because I was burnt out and I thought that that would help like and I was yeah and they realized now looking back that that was not a good idea that might be something that's helpful for for people like yeah it's good to be able to work through this stuff before you yeah go on maternity leave or before you have another massive life change Oh, yeah, it's just so much. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, you know, coming back from burnout, I mean, and as you say, it was all intertwined with becoming a, a parent too, which is... And moving to the Northern Territory. Yeah, and, and completely changing your living situation. What strategies did you employ? You know, what kind of things started to help you feel better? So I think, and I'm actually noticing this more now that I'm back at work, is not escaping when I feel stressed or anxious or so I've had situations this year where I've gone home from a staff meeting and been like oh that was really stressful I feel a bit anxious now okay why do I feel anxious like actually sitting with that feeling what was it about that meeting that made me feel anxious or what was it about that interaction that stressed me out and sometimes I will go for a bike ride and just kind of unwind that way and then if I still feel anxious actually sitting down and I've made it a habit now that I won't actually turn on Netflix and watch something until I've actually sorted through feelings that I'm feeling. So going, yeah, what is it that's making me feel anxious right now? And often I'll just do a big brain dump and sometimes I can fill up a whole page of things that are like on the back of my mind but haven't consciously put on paper And then I'll go, okay, which of these things I can control? Can I control and kind of group them into into two groups? And then, all right, the things I can control, what's my my to-do list? How am I going to fix that? What conversations do I need to have? Because, I mean, often anxiety is about it's a warning that something needs to change or be fixed or stress is that, you know, we've got too much on our plate and maybe I actually need to cut out some things or say no to some things. Yeah, so actually tapping into those emotions and listening to them and being like, what is it telling me? And then what can I control and what can't I control and the things that I can't control, just letting go. And, um, yeah, I know I mentioned before that I'm a Christian, so for me that's letting go to God and being like, God, <laughs> I can't control this. 
I know you're in control and just letting that go. But yeah, obviously that's different for everyone, but just being able to let go of those things that are outside of my control. Yeah, I love that. And it starts with recognizing that actually, you know, I can't do anything to control that or I can do something to control that. So what am I going to do about it? Instead of, like you said, that that old habit of escaping and not actually because you're stressed, so you don't want to actually think about the thing that's stressing you out, but then it, it doesn't get dealt with either. Just builds up and up. And I think I used to have a lot more meltdowns than I do now. Like I used to just put it off and put it off and put it off and then, yeah, I'd have these massive meltdowns. Yeah, which kind of makes sense also because if you're not looking at the things that you actually can do something about, they get bigger and harder. And, and Whereas if you can connect with it, you know, on the day or, you know, fairly soon after, okay, that's stressing me out because of X, Y, Z. Okay, well, maybe I can talk to that person about it or, you know, and like actually resolve it pretty quickly often too. Yep. I'm finding that really helpful, <laughs> like super helpful. I know it's only been, I've only been back for six months, but yeah, that's, yep. And then I guess I've come up with like kind of some non-negotiables. So things like I get up at 5.30 every morning during the week without fail. I, yeah, I have two toddlers. And so a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and sometimes that means I've been woken up three times in the night, but I just need, I need that time to start my day on my own terms instead of on their terms. And I get up and I do a 10-minute meditation and then, yeah, just have some quiet time. And sometimes that quiet time is only 10, 15 minutes before my son wakes up and comes out, but now he comes and joins me. It's really cute. He'll sit there and, yeah, join me. Yeah, but just starting my day on my own terms, no matter how rough a night it was. And and then also my whole family, my husband and my two children, we all go to an exercise class that's booked in and it's that's just a non-negotiable for us. So then I just don't have to think about it. We all go. Yeah. It's like a family thing that we do. Yeah. I mentioned before I studied sports science. So that used to be like a big thing for me, I would obsess over it and think a lot about what I was going to do. And then it would take up a lot of mental energy and space. So just being out of rock up and someone telling me what to do, but it being a non-negotiable that we go every time. And as a family too. So there's a, there's a kind of connection point there too with each other. Yeah. And because with me working full-time, my husband's actually at home with the kids. It would be easy for me to go, oh, I'm going to, you know, F45 or this Pilates class or whatever. And then have more time to myself during the week, but I don't feel right about doing that at this stage because I just, yep. So I had to find a compromise. And it's good for the kids to see mum and dad oh, yeah. exercising. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Any other sort of, well, I know we're going to talk about the social media one in a sec, but any other changes that you have made and and maybe that started, you know, years ago that you've had to tweak since getting back into teaching? Like it sounds like a lot of there's a lot of been a lot of mindset work for you. Yeah, it's mostly at home really. And I I don't often I actually often don't bring my laptop home at all in the evening. But I don't know if that's yeah, because before I didn't have kids. So then it was easy to do a bit of work. Yeah, I usually try and only stay till four, four thirty unless I have a meeting after work and then I go home and I find it easier to switch off now because I've got to go home and hang out with kids and I can't think about work. And yeah, often my husband and I will sit and have a cup of tea and tea brief. But yeah, I don't usually think about work a lot at home. And 
it sounds like that's because you have those strong, really strong boundaries, but as you say, also because there are other things that occupy your time and your headspace when you, as soon as you walk in the door at home. I really have a choice, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and I have, yeah, kind of made, I've been intentional about coming in earlier because that works better for me and for my family. So I'd rather come in before work and be here for an hour before work and get completely ready for the day and then, yeah, so rather than hanging back afterwards. Yeah, and I think that's individual for everyone because, as you say, that's what works for, for your family. My brain works best at that time of morning, but not, every, not everyone. Yeah, exactly. And so, But it's good to recognise that and be really self-aware about that because then you can make sure that that's, like you said, it's an intentional habit as opposed to something that's just kind of happening and you're not, not kind of aware of why it's happening or whether or not it's working. Yeah. So tell us about your social media decision. Um, yeah, so I went off Instagram, I think it would have been almost a year ago now. Yeah, I actually did it in solidarity for my husband, who's a pilot and with the aviation industry and COVID. It was just so stressful for him to go on social media and see other people flying when he wasn't. And so I was like, okay, I'll go off too. But Yeah, I also decided coming back to teaching that I was going to go off Facebook too. Did you delete your accounts or have you just? Yeah, like completely. Well, I mean, I think it's called temporarily deactivated. So there's still like. You could get it back if you really wanted to. But I'm like, I don't know if I can go back on and change that because I'm really enjoying it. I just knew if I'm working full time, I've got two kids at home, I've got a husband, I've got friends that I want to keep in contact with something's got to give, like I don't have time for everything and social media was sucking my time and not giving a lot back. And like I know I've heard you talk about this before, like it's such a double-edged sword, like there's some really great things about it and there's some, yeah, but for me I think it was like I was giving more than I was getting in terms of like time and then not getting a whole lot out of it. So I just decided to, yeah, get rid of it. And I'm really enjoying it. And I find I'm so much less anxious, I think. Yeah, in the past, I've had little breaks. I've had a break for a month or a few weeks. And then whenever I'd go back on, I would instantly feel anxious, like just seeing what everyone's doing all day, every day. Yeah, and comparing and and I also really like that my friends have to message me and call me to find out what's happening and I have to message them and we're renovating our house and I've just been sending my friends photos and videos of of the renos and, yeah, I'll catch up with someone and they'll be like, oh, so what's been happening? And I actually get to tell them rather than, oh, I saw that you did this or that, yeah. Yeah, isn't it interesting how it's it's become such a, sort of infiltrated our lives to such a point that we're actually not always communicating with each other. We're just, oh, yeah, I saw that you did that on Facebook. I saw that you, you know, I saw that 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 happened for you, but I didn't actually hear it from you. Yeah, and sometimes like a like or a reply to an Instagram story is uh, some people's way of keeping in contact, I guess. But, yeah, for me it feels a bit, I don't know, I like to have have a good phone chat with someone. Yeah, absolutely. I love that I love that you've done that. Also, I think it's pretty countercultural at at the moment. You know, there's there's a kind of a peer pressure because everyone's on social media to be on social media and to be keeping up, 
with the news that way and keeping in touch that way. But um, I love that you have made that. I want to say it's a radical choice, which, you know, it sounds like it's blowing it up a little bit. It shouldn't be. and But also I think it is countercultural. And I love that it's made such a positive difference for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really good. And I every now and then, like last night, actually, my husband was looking at something on Instagram and then he got caught down this rabbit warren of, you know, pro-vaccine or anti. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. Like I just didn't even know all these debates were going on and I suddenly felt anxious and I was like, oh, like. Yeah, I'd rather just kind of look up some health information for myself rather than being bombarded with everyone's thoughts and opinions and yep, it's an interesting time that we're living. Absolutely it is and I think yeah, there's a lot of a lot social media has to answer for in in many different ways but you know, globally, but yeah, even just in that, like you mentioned, the comparison, you know, seeing what other people were doing all day and then comparing yourself and then making you feel anxious. You know, I'm sure that's something that's something that I resonate with. I'm sure that's something that so many people resonate with. And I find, you know, I find personally, I kind of lean in and lean out. I have phases where I'm like, I went through a little a phase on people who've been following me on Instagram. Well, now I had some fun with some Instagram reels, and I was just having fun. It was just kind of play and creative in sort of June. And then I found that by you know beginning of July I was like okay I need to kind of lean out again it's kind of it's not fun anymore seeing other people's reels and comparing and feeling like you need a more content yeah even just a bit like I sort of need to stop looking at the screen like my eyes are (laughs) needing a break and I just so you know I lean in and out but yeah I think that was me too yeah Um, but recognizing when it is like oh that's that's made me feel really stressed I need to go and do something else or you know put the phone down. Yeah, I did definitely find it hard as a stay-at-home mum, especially living in the Northern Territory because nothing looks like the way it looks down here. Like nothing is, I mean, nature is really pretty up there, but the houses aren't pretty, the pram's not pretty, like everything's covered in red dirt, everything. Yeah, so I struggled with that comparison. Of- yeah, yeah, but also I know, you know, I've heard from other, you know, young mums that, it can also be the feel like the lifeline because you're at home with the kids all day and you feel like that's the only contact that you have with the outside world. That's true as well. So it is that, you know, it, it is that double-edged sword, but just I think having self-awareness around how is this actually feeling for me? Yeah. And I think also we all need to stop and check in. Am I getting genuine connection with people or am, do I feel like I'm connecting with people because I'm online? And um, I actually just had a phone chat with someone and she was saying that, yeah, when she's having a bad day, often that's what she'll do is she'll scroll and she's like, I don't know why, but I don't know, maybe it gives us this sense of feeling connected or, but. Well, and the dopamine hit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Which, you know, they have deliberately created the apps to hook us that way. So, yeah. Oh, that's, it's a rabbit hole. We could totally go down. But just shifting gears for a sec. Can you tell us about, I know your school has been on a little bit of a journey this year and just early days yet really in the school wellbeing journey, but I know that your school has been looking at implementing and getting started with some staff wellbeing initiatives. Tell us about that and how it came to be. Okay. So I'm going to give backstory because I feel like the backstory is important, but while I was away from teaching, I think I like a lot of reading and I did like little bits of work in the Northern Territory with teenage girls and just different things. I realized that 
my real passion in life is like whole well-being, you know, like mental, physical, emotional, social, spiritual health and wellness and thriving and helping people to kind of experience that. From a preventative standpoint as well, like there's so many amazing things out there that are for people who are already struggling with mental health stuff, but to kind of, I guess, embed it in everything that we do so that kids have tools well before they need them. So coming back to school and, you know, post-COVID schools, I think it's the same story across all schools. The student and staff well-being, I was just like, oh, man, because I'm, I'm back at the same school I was at before. And, yeah, it's like this is so needed, like it's more needed than I thought. And I, I still kind of had this idea that maybe one day I'll make this amazing health program that I teach in my health lessons and I'll, I'll do it one day. And then with some chats with some year 12s, I'm like, this can't wait. <laughs> like year 12s crying out for like, why have we not been taught these skills? Why do we not know how to cope with this stuff that's going on in our community? And yeah, so it started from the idea of student well-being but then being like a whole school well-being thing and I was like I need it can't just be a health program that I teach in class for one period a week it needs to be whole school it needs to be staff it needs to be families it you know if I'm teaching something in health I would love for the science teacher or the maths teacher or the outdoor ed teacher to be using the same language that I'm teaching and go okay what can we do in this situation and actually using the same language that that I'm using? And so at first I was like, we just need a like PD staff on on all this well-being stuff. And then I think I listened to another podcast. I actually can't remember which podcast it was because I listened to so many. But she talked about, you know, how to get well-being set up in your school. So by this stage. It might have been mine. I have got one about that. Yours is like specifically on staff well-being, but this one's about. Oh, I see what you mean. This one was about student. So by this stage, I'd talked to my principal and he was like, oh, we've been looking for someone in the high school who's keen to to take all this stuff on board and talk to the chaplain because she's really passionate about it. So we kind of came up with a team and it was like all about whole school well-being. And then, yeah, one of my, so as a team, we sat down and kind of came up with some goals of for our team and what were our like little tasks that we were going to work on. And mine was staff well-being. And I was like, oh, this is so big. And, yeah, so I listened to this other podcast and she was saying before you can, you know, PD staff or tell staff that they have to look after student well-being better, staff have to understand well-being. And staff have to experience the difference of having good well-being and how much it can positively impact their life and their work and their relationship with students and to like fully get them on board before you present anything to do with student well-being and I was like okay so like that's where we need to start so that's when I think I started listening to your podcast which I love by the way thank you yeah, so it came across your pod I actually scrolled all the way back and started from like episode one I haven't I have not listened to the whole thing, but yeah, started back at episode one and started working my way through. And I also have been doing this UWA, 
it's a UWA online course. It's actually called Student Wellbeing Hub. And they have a whole bunch of different modules. So UWA being the University of WA in Western Australia. Yes. So they have a, it's called Student Wellbeing Hub, but it's like the Australian Wellbeing Framework, I think. Yeah. And so they actually have one module on staff and principal wellbeing. So I sat down and I did that and I was like, wow, okay. So for me, I feel like there's two kind of aspects of staff wellbeing. There's like people looking after their own individual wellbeing and then there's organisational wellbeing and the organisation looking after staff wellbeing and not just by providing, um, you know, Pilates lessons or doing a 10-minute meditation at the start of a fitness fruit and flu shots, as they say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. But it needs to be deeply ingrained in the appraisal process and the interview process. And like, it's so much bigger. And I was just like, this is so like, I can't just start like a little morale boosting club or a like it needs to be so much more. Or if I am going to do that, I need to know that leadership are on board working towards this as well. Yeah, because I don't want to be standing at the front of staff meetings or sending out emails and being like, hey, and then people being like, but that's not the issue. Like I'm sleeping eight hours a week, but I'm coming to work and <laughs> I'm not being looked after. Yeah, it, it totally can be inflammatory if there is a, you know, an issue or multiple issues that are happening at the school that are not being acknowledged and not being addressed, then having sort of quote-unquote staff wellbeing sessions can actually just leave people feeling worse because they walk out walk out kind of just all stirred up about it going, yeah, as you say, that's not the issue or that's all well and good, but... What are you going to do about this? Yeah, exactly. This problem is still here and we're, we're kind of ignoring the elephant in the room. So I think that's really wise because that's not the place you want to be in. You don't want to have that stirring people up that way. It's not, it's not helpful. Yeah. And I, um, I love my school and I love our school leadership and I think they're amazing, but every school has been through, you know, 2020. Um, (laughs) and we've also recently been taken over by, like we're an independent school. We've been taken over by a completely different organization. So in the last 18 months, all of our computing systems, our online learning systems, our reporting systems, everything has changed and everyone's been in survival mode, including leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So no one's had time or energy to kind of look out for each other and look after each other. And I think being away for four years and then being able to come back and see that, I was like, this is not good. It was obvious to you because you hadn't been there seeing it kind of, you know, just happen incrementally and getting, um, not noticing it so much. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I tried to have a couple of conversations with leadership about like, can we sit down and talk about staff wellbeing? Because I feel like it's not in a great place. And as I said, I love my leadership team and I think their hearts are 100% in the right place, but they're busy. And the first two times I reached out and tried to talk about it, they just didn't get back to me. And so I like had a little mini meltdown to one of the other staff members and he was like, don't give up. Like just don't, this is really important um, and you need to keep going. So I sat down again and I, yeah, just like kind of laid out how I was feeling in an email, not how I was feeling, but like it wasn't like a super emotive email or yeah, like, and just like the whole idea that if we look after our staff, 
then the school is going to thrive. The student, the relationships with students are going to be better. Relationship with parents are going to be better. Staff are going to have better work output. They're going to be more passionate, more excited. And I kind of, yeah, said like, can we please cut off and talk about this? So we did. They got back to me and said, yep, let's do it. So we went out for a catch up and then I kind of brought to them my findings that I found through the UWA module. So the teacher and principal wellbeing one for anyone who's in like any sort of leadership position would 100% recommend doing that module. It's got a whole bunch of like peer review articles on staff wellbeing, how to cultivate staff wellbeing, how to improve staff wellbeing. It's really, really good. So I kind of was super nerdy and sat down like I did a bit of a lip review. <laughs> no, but good on you. I think that's important. Yeah, well, it's like they're not going to have time to sit and do it. Exactly. And I'm passionate about this. I'm excited. And, yeah, I want to bring the facts. I don't want to just come and be like, this is what I think. And we are in a small school, so I have the privilege of being able to sit down with our principal and our head of secondary and, yeah, just chat about these things. And they are really supportive of anyone that comes, you know, with solutions. And I think for anyone who is passionate about this and does want to kind of start something in this arena in their school to come with some ideas and solutions rather than just problems, which is what I wanted to do, not be like, hey, these are all the issues I see. (laughs) Can you guys fix this? Because that just adds another thing to their plate. I completely agree. And I think also there's definitely some school leadership team who were just not in touch with this as being important. But I think there's also a lot who are interested, they're kind of on board, but they don't know where to start and they don't necessarily have the time or the headspace either because, you know, we know principal health and wellbeing is is a huge challenge as well. And I actually think sometimes it's better coming from the, you know, the passionate person on staff or the passionate people, you know, creating a team, creating a, a group or a club or committee or whatever you want to call it. It has a bit more ownership as well that way with the staff. So, you know, it can be, I think it can be really powerful when it comes from the bottom up as opposed to the top down. Yeah. And I did kind of hear out some other staff before I went and had this meeting as well because I wanted to know that other people were support, like other staff were supporting me in this and that they weren't going to be like, "Mm, (laughs) what's all this about? Yeah, that's something people wanted. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had a really, really productive meeting and they, I shared kind of all the findings about, you know, staff appraisal processes and the things that I mentioned earlier. And they shared with me their heart and just, you know, the journey that they'd been on for the last four years while I've been away and where their heart was at. And they were like, this semester, staff wellbeing, like it's on our agenda. We want it to be on our agenda. We want people to feel, yeah, more looked after. And yeah, and then I raised, so I had listened to your podcast about three reasons why school should have a staff wellbeing champion. Yeah, as a specific role. Yes. Yep. So at the moment, it's completely volunteer on top of, yeah, which is pretty common. At this stage, it's something I'm very passionate about. So it's not, it's not draining me of energy, but I'll keep a check on that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so they, I brought that up and my principal in his wisdom was like, I don't want it to be an individual thing. I would like that to be a team. Yeah. And I think that's good too. 
Yeah, he was really wise. He was like, I don't want you to become the person that everyone goes to and I don't want you to become the go-between between between staff and leadership. Like I want people to know that our door's still open. Yeah, that's very wise. Yeah, so super wise. And I I went home and I came up with, I re-listened to your podcast and came up with like a bit of a outline of what kind of the roles and responsibilities would be for the wellbeing team. And um yeah, so we actually um what happened next? So I sent that him that email. He was like, Great, it looks really good, but let's keep chatting about this. Not in a like let's let's put it on the on the shelf for a bit, but as in like let's develop it a bit. Yeah, keep and tweak as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was keen for the team to so we are primary and secondary and we actually have another campus off site. So he wanted one person from each sector of the school, including admin. And so he asked me to kind of go around and chat to a few people. Oh, and then, yeah, that's when they asked me to share at the staff PD day. So I like got up and shared my story and had a few tears, like my story of burnout. And I I guess I, I wanted to clarify if I'm sharing stuff with you guys about well-being, it's not because I have it all together and it's not because I am the perfect picture of well-being. It's because I've been burnt out and I don't want you guys to, yeah, experience that. And I want us to work together and support each other and to kind of create that culture of vulnerability and openness. Yeah, so it was really good. I had a lot of positive feedback after that talk, like, a lot of people that were like, oh, I didn't realise that other people had felt this way. and Right. Well, that's often what happens when finally when somebody is honest about how they're feeling, other people go, oh, my gosh, me too. And it's terrifying. Like, it's so scary. Like, and I yeah, cried in front of everyone. I told them things that I hadn't told anyone and I was up in front of a crowd of people. So, yeah, it was scary, but I am glad that I did it. And so, yeah, now from that we've got a team of, five of us that are like the staff wellbeing team so we actually haven't even had our first meeting so we're like in very very early early stages early days we'll check back in with you in 12 months time and see how it's going we should do a (laughs) follow-up that will keep me accountable too yeah for sure yep so yeah we actually have our first meeting next week and um the principal is going to come to that and just establish like the roles and responsibilities and what it is and what it's not and then yeah i think that's fantastic and good on you for kind of just exactly what that colleague of yours said, like don't give up, you know, you'd sent a couple of emails and it sort of didn't get a reply and like don't give up. People are busy and it's not even necessarily that they don't want to reply, they just maybe forgot or whatever. Like, Or it's a big thing, like they probably want to wait until they've got headspace. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And it takes time. I mean, that's the other piece I think I've said this probably before on the podcast, but, you know, so often when we when we get excited about an idea like this, we go, oh, I want to have it all happen by, you know, like next week. But no, some of this stuff will take like months and terms to get properly set up and put in place. And that's okay because it's a long-term shift. You know, it's not going to be a flash in the pan. We don't want it to be a flash in the pan. We want it to be long term so it's it's okay that we take the time to set it up properly and it might be frustrating we might have to have a bit of patience but um yeah to not give up good on you thanks <laughs> there's a few people that said no to the team as well which I was like I respect that 
Yeah, absolutely. Boundaries because they were like, I want to, but I'm doing too much. And I was like, no, that would be like counterintuitive if you joined then don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think being part of a team and kind of just all, you know, doing little bits or even coming up with ideas and then delegating because there are people who said, I don't want to be on the team. I don't have the capacity, but I'm definitely keen to help organize social events or I'm definitely keen to help do some team building stuff or, yeah. Involved in other ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah which is great. So you've already got some buy-in there. Well, I can't wait to follow up with you on that, um, you know, down the track and we'll see how it goes because, you know, it is a long-term thing. So it will just keep evolving, I'm sure. Um, I can't wait to hear how it all all pans out. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been such a wonderful, uh, insightful conversation. And I'm sure that it's going to be really helpful for both teachers just individually in their own journeys, but also anyone in a school who's wanting to get that well-being journey happening in their school for their staff and their students. I think this will be really, really, really helpful. So thanks so much for sharing. No worries. Thanks so much for having a chat. It was really nice to actually meet you. Yes, it's lovely. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lisa. Like I said, it's a really good one. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. A little reminder, of course, this is the last episode in Season 9, but we will be back. Stay tuned for Season 10 later in the year. In the meantime, make sure you're following me on Instagram at selfcareforteachers and get on the newsletter list so you can stay up to date. I will pop links to all of those things plus my resources and coaching services in the description of this episode and the show notes so you can click away and stay in touch. And if you really resonated with this conversation about school well-being and being a school well-being champion that Lisa and I had at the end, and if you are the well-being person in your school or you want to be, come and join me and other well-being champions at a virtual networking event on the 22nd of March. Check out selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash wellbeing champion for more resources in this area, including a new freebie about common mistakes to avoid. So stay tuned for season 10. And as always, remember you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.